So open in your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. We're continuing to talk about soul willingness. I'm going to mention some things today that, that I'd like you to pay particular attention to as, as I continue or as we continue to just, just kind of dive down that road of, of understanding as we talk about, about soul willingness. So Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to hear your voice. Father, thank you that in the frailty of humanity, we say words that you turn into hearing. And we thank you, Lord God, for speaking in the hearing of your people, things that are pertinent and powerful for them. You are an individual God, Father, and I know that you speak to each of us individually. So thank you, Father, that words that are spoken in frailty can be turned into words that are spoken in power and creativity through your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So we want to talk a little bit today about living from the options in soul willingness. So let me read our scripture for you that we're... That we're using as the basis for this. The Bible says in in verse number uh, 19, please, it says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Now, what I've tried to to get you to see is that that willingness is tied to obedience. You can find in in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and say that that when... when, uh, the, the prophet Samuel is dealing with Saul and their sacrifices that went on and, and, and all of that. And he says, he says to Saul, does God really require this stuff? Or, or how do we have to see this? And, and, and he, he basically, let's, you know what? 1 Samuel chapter 15. I was going to explain the story to you. Let's just cast an eye on it. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Um, so the, the context and background of the story is that, that God, through the prophet Samuel, um, instructs Saul to, to uh, uh, utterly destroy this, this nation and these people. And what Saul does is take the king captive, which wasn't in the plan, and he blames the people for keep, keeping some of the best spoils. So that's the story. Here's Samuel speaking to, to Saul in this, this understanding and judgment picture. It says in verse number 22, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The idea behind heeding is the listening for the purpose of obedience. So, so again, you, you may have had this with your own children where you told them something. You're sure they heard you, but they didn't follow through. There wasn't a willingness on the part of the heart of the child to do. And maybe if you force them to do that, like pick up their toys, they might have opened their toy box and tossed those toys with certain kinds of, of strength into their toy box. They didn't do what they were asked to do out of a willing heart, but rather out of a compelled heart, right? Sometimes kids have to be essentially threatened into obedience, and, and part of that is a learning process. But what we're really talking about is that, is that willingness. And so let me say this to you. This is one of the things I want you to get. It is my belief or opinion that your enemy, the devil, is not at all interested in what you believe. 
Now, I know some of you are going, wait, what? No, he's opposed to that. He doesn't care what you believe. He's working to get you to have a willingness to put down the indwelling character of God to share what you believe or to defend what you believe. Let me say that to you again. He works to get you to be willing to put down the character of God to defend what you believe. You understand that willingness takes you away from Christ's likeness when you're in that position. Just think of the number of people that you've come up against defending their scriptural position. And when you leave that, you almost feel wrinkled and dirty. Because they left to the character of God. Think of the number of political opinions that you've seen. Pounded out in anger and frustration when people leave the willingness to be Christ-like to defend their position. You say, well, we've just got to defend this position. Please listen to me carefully. You don't need to do anything that takes you away from the character of God in you. It's an indwelling character through the presence of of the Holy Spirit. And when we leave that, we fall into the trap. It actually produces a level of bitterness that will just drive you nuts. You understand that when you're bitter, that sourness of soul and spirit poisons the people you're around? When we're willing to hold unforgiveness, it destroys us, me, And yet we see that, well, you know, they need to do something. The people that did something bad to me, they need to do something about this. Really? You understand that Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The character of Jesus Christ takes what the world has to offer and continues to look like Jesus. So when we deal with willingness, we have to process this in a way that makes biblical sense. And the devil, he, listen, the devil isn't creating necessarily baby killing, you know, whoremongers that are, no, he just wants you to fall into the trap of abandoning the character of Christ when you defend what you believe or what your opinion is. Well, I knew that would go over good. That's a, listen, we're talking about subtleties here and willingness is a subtlety in our life. And many of us are more willing to angrily defend a point that is Christ-like by losing our Christ-likeness. That's not healthy. Willingness is an extraordinarily big picture deal. You know, he was not willing. Saul evidently was not willing to kill everybody. And and if you can imagine this, one of the parades that happened regularly in this time of history was the parade that took place when a vanquished king was paraded basically naked through the street and all the people that were with the winning team were carrying his weapons. This was a huge kudo. In fact, it happened when, when, with, it's what got David in trouble. The people sang the song. You remember the song? Samuel's killed his thousands and David's killed his ten thousands. That happened and likely happened in one of those public processions of a victory. See, it's, it's way good for your ego to be right. But it's way bad for your spirituality to lose the willingness to be Christ-like defending your point. Are we okay? That's sobering, isn't it? 
Yeah, I didn't mean to point out that you do that. I'm just meaning there are people in the world that do that. Where they are angrily promoting. Do you know that whatever you believe politically, there's somebody on the other side of that that actually believes different than you? And you can't believe that they believe what they believe and they can't believe you believe what they believe. The real question in Christianity is who's going to leave the character of God to defend their point? That's willingness. That's why it's so important. Come on. How many of you have ever had a, a, a reward mentality? Let's say that you've spent the last 18 months paying off a credit card bill. Way to go. And we're all clapping on the inside. And the first thing we do is go out and spend $150 at a restaurant with your credit card to provide the reward that you just won. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm merely saying if you leave the character of God in your finances, your willingness is the issue. No. In the main service, we're talking, a little, having a little money talk. Your money can't act by itself. It needs you. And it needs to be governed by biblical foundations. And when you leave those, your willingness to leave those things. And I've been at this a long time. And the number of people who have, who have, who have gotten appointments with me to tell me they can't afford to tithe. They hear me talking about tithing and all this kind of stuff. They, they make an appointment and they come in and, and they say, the, the, almost without fail, they say this, Pastor, you just don't understand. Okay, my understanding of that principle is not at question here. It doesn't make any difference whether I understand or not. See, you hearing God's voice should produce a willingness in you to be willing to be like that. See, God didn't come in and just possess you like that. I'm just, God's, you know, this is God. I'm, I'm pretending I'm him with his deep voice and his gray beard and his gold scepter thing that he smacks people with when they're out of line. Come on, I've had a lot of people think that God's up there and he's angry all the time, right? God, God gives you a reflection of his goodness so that you have something to reflect of his goodness. Romans tells us it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance, not the angry presentation of scriptural truth. Well, we've got to be angry at sin. Why? In fact, the Bible says in James, don't let the sun go down on your anger. But many of us are so angry at sin and more specifically, the sin that we see in people that we love. Come on, how many of you got, don't raise your hands. How many of you got somebody that you love that isn't acting according to biblical truth in your mind? And how many of you have a solution, a biblical solution that you've said to them maybe more than once in different languages until it's become frustrating for you to talk about it with them? Because they're just not listening. No, they're listening just fine. But you see, your willingness to depart from the character of God is your willingness to depart from them being led by the goodness of God. They don't see the reflection of the goodness of God in you. And so they think you're a crazy old religious bigot. Now, does that make a difference in what's true and false? No. It makes a difference in who is being reflected. You understand the problem with church growth is the people that grew in the church. 
Come on. We set up our own boundaries and walls because of willingness. And I'm trying to teach you about the subtleties of willingness. And I want you to remember this. I want you to write it down. I want you to chew on it and ponder it. The devil likely doesn't care a lick what you believe. He just cares if he can get you to, to be willing to trade in the character of Christ for the character of the world. You see, and, and by the way, who does that harm? Does that harm the other person? No. The minute you left the character of God, the minute you left the goodness of God, they stop listening to you because they think you're crazy. But when you operate in the goodness of God, and you're going to have to accept this or I'm going to be stuck here all day. When you lose the willingness to be Christ-like, you enter into the willingness to be worldly. You set your mind on carnal things. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. You want to control the other person. Now, we don't need to control them. Listen, anybody that you can convince by conversation can be unconvinced by another conversation. All that creates is a double-minded man. You understand, when your mind, I mean... I try to do something that doesn't hit everybody. And every time I try to do this, I hit somebody square in the face. <laughs> there was this guy. When I was still doing jail ministry. His name was Darwin. And the reason I remember his name was what he said sounded an awful lot about Darwin's theories. He was completely opposed to a particular set of laws. And he would spend six weeks every six months in jail. Because he didn't like the law he kept breaking. And so when you have him in, he'd come to church, in, in, in the jail, he'd come to church. And he'd say, you know, I'm just praying that God will change this. He wanted them to change the law. Now, it might look like now 10, 15 years later that, that God did change the law. But how many of you understand that none of that changed his heart? None of that changed his heart. He left the willingness to be influenced by the goodness of God, to be influenced by the desire of person, him. It feels so much better to be right and have people agree with you. And can I point out to you that when you leave the goodness of God, when you leave the willingness to be like him, to reflect his character, when you leave that, they will agree with you just to shut you up. They will. But the goodness of God maintains this attraction. When we started teaching in jail and prison ministries, you can't believe, honestly, the number of people that would catch me on the street and walk up to me unembarrassed by where I met them. In fact, we were sitting in a restaurant the other night and this man I ministered to in prison, he's sitting over there all dressed up, just really nice and had his work hat, not a work hat, but a hat that advertised his work. And I kept looking at him thinking, yeah, I think I know this guy. And finally he says, Pastor Glenn, you don't recognize me, do you? And I said, well, I know I should. And he told me his name. He didn't tell me that I met him in prison. I could add that all by myself. But his identity was so different 
that he represented himself in the goodness of what God did. He got out of prison. He turned his life around. He got married and has two children and was at a restaurant acting like he was normal. The goodness of God changed him. I did not have to remind him every time I went into the prison that he was a convict. I had to remind him that there's an identity that's available to him that is different than that one. That's the goodness of God. That's the willingness to be reflective. Again, let me say it to you. The devil has little or no interest in what you believe. He only wants you to be willing to abandon the character of God to share or defend your belief system or your opinion. Did you get it? Okay, we're going to measure that because if you didn't get it, I'll have to circle back around that mountain again in the next 10 or 15 minutes. Because I'm convinced that's the point for today is understanding how willingness works. And see, we, we love to, oh, I'm willing. I came to church today, Pastor. It's cold out. There's ice on the roads. You know, it's, listen, we provided a climate-controlled environment for you today. This is a great place to be. This is more comfortable than your house. We have good, kind of good coffee. I have really good coffee in my office, not the peasant coffee that's in the kitchen. <laughs> for all the common folks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? it is. <laughs> the point, the point, I, see, we've got to laugh so you guys can, can, can get away from the victim mentality that I just gave you and come back around and say, you know what? I think what the pastor is saying is God ordained or God breathed. That God really does pay attention and want us to be willing to sacrifice ourselves at times because if we sacrifice ourselves the other way, we sacrifice ourselves away from the character of God. I don't think that's right. Notice in verse number 23. So 22 says, and heed. The heeding thing is that, that purposeful, intentional listening or willingness to listen. That's the willing part of that scripture. And then in verse 23, it says, and for rebellion. Now listen, rebellion is not the opposite of, of obedience. Rebellion is the opposite of willingness. When we rebel, we are unwilling to do whatever's on the table. Rebellion is the opposite of willingness. So when, when you say, well, well, I don't rebel all the time. Really? Do we need to go down that road for you? When God gives you a specific instruction and it takes you six weeks to slowly become obedient. There is no biblical term for slow obedience other than rebellion. But you know, I, I got there finally. Yeah, I was disobedient right up until I became obedient. And the only difference in that pathway was my willingness. I fought so hard not to be in ministry. I've told this story in many ways, many times. But in, in 1981, when God first started talking to me or to us, you know, Tracy always got it. And I don't know why God always puts opposites together. I mean, Tracy is so willing. Yep, that's what God says. Let's do that. Are you kidding me? No, we're not doing that. Every pastor I know is poor and nobody likes them. 
And I wanted to be rich and I wanted people to like me. And he gave me this personality. You say, no, you made that personality. I've tried to change. I didn't make the personality. From the moment I accepted the call of God, the personality that God designed for me started to come out and it didn't look like everybody else's. And I went, this doesn't work. Nobody's going to invite me back. But that was a solution to my problem. Since I didn't want to be in ministry, I can go once. People can hate me and I'll never have to go back. One failure and I'm out. But what happened was from 1981 to 1980, it took two years. I was slowly obedient. It took two years for me to become willing to follow the voice of the Lord. Two years. From 1983 to 1986, I stayed busy all the time. And you know that they didn't care that I was a crazy charismatic and Pentecostal in my personal life? I was invited to every imaginable kind of church. I preached in this one Methodist church one time where the lady in a, in a in, it was summertime, in a little sundress propped her foot up on the pew and started clipping her toenails. Well, I didn't know that was supposed to happen. I preached in, in this one church. They were just so surprised I didn't wear a robe. The only robe I got is a bathrobe and I don't think you want to see me in that. I didn't know. Point is, I became willing without any understanding of what it meant to them to be obedient. I just became willing. And so if somebody asked me, I'd say, yeah, God gave me an instruction. I walked out my back door of the restaurant in Holyoke, Colorado, and walked a half a block to a particular church. And for six months, I took that pastor, a cinnamon roll, at 10.15 in the morning, hot, out of the oven, sin rover, 10.15 in the morning, because that's when Paul Harvey started. And after Paul Harvey was over, I would ask him kindly, would you please pray with me? For six months, I asked that pastor to pray with me. For six months, he ignored me. And that must have been in June or May or June. In December, his mother died. And he called me and said, can you come see me? And will you pray with me? I had to be willing, you know, now I look back on it and go, no, I was just being obedient. I was being, listen, when your obedience doesn't produce fruit, sooner or later you go, heck with this, this isn't working. And I considered that. I thought it's not working. And I thought, well, what does it hurt? The restaurant isn't busy at 10, 15 in the morning and God told me to visit this guy. So I just kept going. And I covered for two or three weeks at his church because his mother died. And I still have, in fact, that man has been in this church. <clears throat> That's 40 some years ago. That man's been in this church. He drove from California with his son to see me. Now, don't make it about me. Make it about this understanding. Without willingness, my obedience would have stopped. Does that make sense? Okay. Are we good? <laughs> So it says, for rebellion, the opposite of willingness, is as the sin of witchcraft. <laughs> I don't know what you think the sin of witchcraft is, but I will, I will double dog dare you to find any other way than to say this is something evil. I mean, this is evil, what God is doing in this situation. He compared this to, he could have compared it to anything, but he compared it to witchcraft. He compared it to something 
that all of us know isn't right. One other way to translate that is divination. Moving towards the devil to get information that's only available from God. When we leave our willingness, I told you we'd have to keep going around this mountain. Can some of you just go ahead and step on in for, you know, here just for a second and go ahead and accept this? When we step to the world's place to get what only God can give us, our willingness is the problem. If you want the world to gain wealth for you, willingness is the problem. Because God is the one who gives you the power to gain wealth. It literally means to attract. Godly people willing to be obedient attract God's provision. See, there are churches all over the planet who have left willingness because of the opinion of the people they serve. Amen. All right, so what does willing mean? As, as, I'm, as I'm talking, just turn over to Matthew chapter 13, please. What does willingness mean? How do we process this? Willingness is just the positively inclined response to authority. Finding Matthew 13, keep turning with me while you're listening. It's the positively inclined response to authority. Listen, willingness looks at authority and accepts with contentment what's being offered. You say, well, I don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that from the speed limit on up. Because we're not content at 65 because we create the path of contentment at 69. Why? Because we won't get a ticket from the world. Divination is when we go to the world for what only God can give us. Some of you need to have a really smart math kid in your family. Or maybe you're the person who can do that math in your head. And just go ahead and figure out how many minutes you save over the course of even a long drive. And you say, well, it's hours, Pastor. Okay. Can you discipline yourself before time? Or do you have to turn to the world's ways to gain that discipline back? Do you have to redeem the time through the world by driving too fast? I'm trying to pick things that everybody does, but you know, nobody cares and I'm meddling in that area, right? Because you're going to leave here today and drive quickly to beat the Baptist to the food. Okay? My, my, my point is that in every aspect of our spiritual life, willingness becomes an extraordinarily important issue. How do we pray to gain the willingness on the inside? How do we do something to gain the willingness on the inside? I can see some of you already frowning going, well, yeah, I don't know how, because I, I want to be willing and I pray about it, but nothing ever changes. The only way to be willing is to accept the character of God that's living in you. And every aspect of your decision-making process trusts Him to give you His goodness that leads you in the path of Christ-like behavior. Every decision. You say, well, that's just impossible. It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. Have you ever heard that scripture before? 
One of the ways that God does these things is to get us past ourselves so we'll trust Him. I tell you, I, I've, I've, I've moved the line of weakness in my life. This is the one thing that, that, that where God started with me and it's been a, a, long, a long distance, a uh, long time process. I know that God's best is found in my weakness. I know that. And so rather than saying to myself that God helps those who help themselves, right? He wants you to be so dog tired that your tongue is hanging out over the things of God. You know, you've been working so hard you can't hardly move. And then he rushes in to save you. Well, that isn't what God wants. Move the line. God, I'm not even going to preach today unless I hear your voice. I got nothing to say unless I hear your voice. You say, well, but what do you do about your job? I trust that you'll give me grace. You say, well, what if we don't? Then you have a heart problem. It still doesn't affect me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know some of you are going, well, if you don't preach any better than this, we'll just find somebody else. Hop to it. See, if you're willing, you'll listen to God's voice. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying, would you please be willing to hear God's voice so the frailty of human language turns into the power and penetrating words of God himself? Does that make sense? Yay me. We're talking about living from options. Willingness is always about the options. Notice in Matthew chapter 13. Let's begin reading in verse 14. 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see. How many of you understand that he said something so profound right there that it takes a little bit of processing to understand it? He didn't say they were blind. He said they did not. Um, 13 and... Okay, sorry. You, you made a typo? Okay. Therefore, I speak to them because seeing they do not see. He didn't say that they couldn't see. He said what they're seeing isn't worth seeing. That's why hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Notice that there's a completely separate opportunity for you to see what God is offering, hear what God is saying, and take the understanding that he has. He was teaching people in parables. He, he knew in the agri, 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 agricultural setting they were in that they understood how seeds worked. He used something they would immediately respond to. But he wanted them to see something different. And when he did, he actually had to go, you know, if you read this whole story, he, he had to explain it to even the disciples, even to the good guys. Right? He said, no, okay, you're not understanding it. The seed is the word of God. What were they supposed to be seeing? The seed is the word. What were they supposed to be hearing? The word, words. The word, word of God, words. We hear people's opinions all the time. I'm always intrigued by people's opinions over the simplicity of the Bible. Did you know it takes a human to make the Bible complicated? I mean, God just, God just took it down to a real simple level. And he said, here's what it is. Can you get this? 
Notice he says in the, in the 14th verse, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Hearing, you will hear and shall not understand. See, it's the reason that I keep coming back around to the one thing that God said to me about today. Satan isn't interested in what you believe exactly. He's interested in your willingness to depart from the character of God to share it or defend it. That's the one thing. Can you please hear that? You say, well, I just don't believe that. Okay. See, I'm not here to, I'm not here to force you because that kind of willingness is actually compulsion. I'm not here to compel you to believe something. You say, well, but, don't, but pastor, you keep pounding away on it. Yeah, because I want God to take my words, turn them around and speak them in your language so you'll hear. Does that make sense? Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. Isn't it interesting that we don't see exactly what God is offering? For the hearts of this people have grown dull. <laughs> our problem does not stem from our inability to see or our inability to hear or even our inability to understand. It, it stems from the waxing gross, is what the King James says, from the hardening, the dullness of hearts. You understand that if you change hearts, you don't need the limits of the law. Chugga, 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 chugga. If you change hearts, you do not need the limits of the law. We would never do anything on the roadways to put another one of God's creation in danger. You can take that however you want. You understand that you've got no chance of hitting somebody if you're driving the same speed as they are. Imagine, imagine the interstate for a second. How, how many of you know that, that there are people out there who have rules about what lane to drive in on the interstate? If you're in a big city, if you're driving under the speed limit, you need to stay completely right. If there's three or four lanes, the middle lanes are for law-abiding people, drive 55. If you're driving 80 miles an hour or 85 miles an hour, get to the left and just... Right? And you, everybody's going by you so fast. There's no chance for us to do harm to anybody. And we don't even need the limits of the law. <laughs> I know, see, that'll spin your head, won't it? Why? Because our hearts grow dull. And you say, well, yes, we're living in a time where people's hearts are dull. Exactly. What do you think is going to solve that? More law? Well, how are we going to soften it? I used to soften with a big hammer. That seems like that softens everything. You know, if the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, then everything you hit is a nail. But see, some of y'all aren't nails. Here's something else. I mean that literally and figuratively. And so hitting you with a hammer, I had somebody tell me the other day, they said, I just love it when you say, stick your toes out in the aisle, I'm coming by to step on them. See, some people like that. Some people enjoy in-your-face stuff. Some people enjoy the simplicity of saying, you know, hey, the devil's not interested in what you believe. He's just interested in twisting your mind so you'll be unwilling to be like Christ. So when you defend your position, you look like the devil himself. When you share your opinion, you don't look like Christ at all. I mean, that's really the point, isn't it? Notice he says then, the hearts of this people have grown dull. 
Their ears are hard of hearing. You need, to, you need to, to process that as saying they only hear from an appropriate source. Have you ever talked with somebody about the Bible? But because of their experiences, because of their filters, they filter out all the good about God because they've had an experience with God where God stole their child, killed their mom, took their money, did whatever. And so their, their filter doesn't allow them to hear right. See, these people's hearing are hard. And in their eyes, they have closed. You ever notice when a two-year-old or so closes their eyes, they think you disappear? How many of you know that's not maturity? Right? So, so you, you can sit in a situation, oh, I'm just going to close my eyes. Okay. But you understand that doesn't work. Nothing disappears when you close your eyes to purposeful seeing of truth. They should see with their eyes, middle of verse 15, hear with their ears, understand with their heart. The most difficult highway you will ever have in your life is the 18 inches between your brain and your heart. It says they understand with their heart. They don't understand with their logic. They don't even, I mean, logic, it's easy to use logic to determine right and wrong. It just is. But how many of you know that your logic is affected by your filter? See, here's my logic. Absolutely no reason to fix a lawnmower. I don't fix them. I throw them away. They're disposable tools. Now, why is that? Because my logic tells me, even though I have shiny tools, I don't know the first place to start in fixing a lawnmower. Now, in my retirement or close to my retirement, God moved somebody about three houses from me in this church, Rick Van Vickle. Do you know that Rick, he's a small engine expert. He calls me up every, every spring. He says, Pastor, want me to go through your mower for you? I go, why? I'm just going to throw it away when it stops working. <laughs> and so I, I walk, it's self-propelled. In, in my neighborhood, it's crazy. When, I, when I'm walking over there, the mower is running and I'm using the self-propelled mechanism to get it to his house. <laughs> and he does it on the way home. <laughs> and I give it to him. And, and I'm sorry, I love you dearly. And he gives it back to me, you know, a day or two or three or whatever. It doesn't really make any difference. And, and he tells me, you know, I did the oil. I did the filter. I did all this kind of stuff. And I started. And guess what? To me, it sounds exactly the same. I'm still going to throw it away. Why? Because of my filter. If I get it, listen, I've done this. I've followed the instructions on the A goes into B and screw L goes into that thing. I've done that. And every single time I ended up with extra parts. It took me years and years to realize they actually send extra screws. I'm thinking, where do these go? There's like five screws. Where do these go? See, for, for, for an OCD kind of guy, don't send me extra screws because I think they're supposed to go somewhere. And so now I just look for any indentation in the metal and put the screw in there because I can't throw those screws away because they're supposed to be in there. Yeah, engine room. 
Do you understand that your filters affect how you see and hear and understand? But when those filters are just your brain, see, the fact that I don't know how to, the pastors, the pastors that attend our, our, our stuff will tell you this. I don't know how to do a whole lot, but here's what I say to them. I got a guy. I got a guy. I loaned Jeremy out, and he, Jeremy's not really mine to loan, but, but you know, I got a guy. Jeremy can do it. Or I got a guy, this guy can do it. Or I know a guy, this can happen. Why? Because I've recognized my limitations. Do you know the devil wants you to embrace your limitations as something you need to learn about? I don't got time. I don't know enough about God right now to learn about lawnmowers. I don't know enough about God to learn about lawnmowers. I'm sorry. God gave me Rick. I, I, I'm not going to stop learning about God to fix my mower. I have about five electricians in my life. Robert, one of them. I got to retire. I love retired electricians because they may not be able to spin the, the, the screws and stuff yet, but their brain is perfect. And so this summer when we were building onto our garage, I, I called up the heating guy. Now, I, I didn't put my own heater in, but I called him up and I said, um, how, how, much, how much electricity does that, is that air conditioner part? He, mean, he said, you mean the compressor? I said, yeah, how much electricity does that need? He says, 50 amps. And I went, I don't know that I've ever seen a 50 amp breaker. So I, I got on the internet because everything there is true. <laughs> and I went shopping for wire. Did you know that 50 amp wire is about as big around as your thumb? And it's so hard to bend. And I thought, well, that's crazy. That can't be right. Right? And so, so then I... I, I I don't remember where he was, and, and you know, I, Ron was standing somewhere. And you know how people who have knowledge in this, they love for you to come up to them wherever they are and ask them, you know, professional questions. Just try that with a doctor and see how well that goes. But, but anyway, so wherever he was, I said, hey, Ron, I'm putting an air conditioner in. And, and, and I said, the guy's telling me 50 amps. He says, that sounds about right. Oh, okay. And, and I priced that wire, and it's like a buck a foot. And I need like, like, like 70 feet of it, you know. I need $700 a wire. To, how many of you know that all this logic was working, right? Going, oh, I can understand this. No, I need somebody who understands it so I can then check with my heart, with God, to see if he still wants me to do it. Does that make sense? See, that's just a simple everyday thing. God, you still want me to do this? Because I can goof it up without even thinking. I mean, that's when I hurt my knee. I used a, so I got the approval from God, okay? Got 70 feet of this cable that is so heavy and it's so stiff. And so my son had the, the, the ladder in one garage and I didn't have one in the other. And it was so hard to fit through that he was on one side of this, of this um, uh, what do you call the things that hold the roof up? Rafters. He's on one side of it and I was on the other and I'm handing it to him like this. And we got all done. And he says, yep, I got enough. I said, good. And so I went to step back off that thing. And, and my ladder moved. Only my ladder was a cooler. How many of you recognize that that decision didn't go through the same filter and process as finding out if that wire was right? Are you understanding that your willingness to put God in the middle of every single decision 
See, it's willingness that's at issue. God, you want me to stand on this? No. See, if I would have asked him that, he would have said, no, call a timeout and go buy a ladder. I've given you money for a ladder. I don't need no stinking ladder. Are you seeing this? I got one minute and I'm still, I, some of you are still pushing back. <laughs> Going, well, I ain't believing that. Your willingness is so important that you need to spend time focusing and functioning through willingness. You say, no, I'm just going to be obedient. No, your obedience won't do any good if you're not willing. Because the, at issue here is the good of the land. Right? The good of the land. What is the good of land? The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father from above. God is always pouring out good and perfect. If you want to eat of that on the land, it looks like willingness plays a part. So here's your quote again. I should have made a, we should have made a deal out of this. I didn't realize it would take me this long. The devil is not interested in what you believe. He's only interested in you leaving the character of God, willing to leave the character of God to share your opinion or to defend your point. That willingness will kill you. It'll take you to a place of not being Christ-like. Your heart will get bitter. And you'll poison the people that are around you. That's why willingness is pretty important. Amen? I really intended to get to Romans 8 two weeks ago. Next week, it's almost certainly a guarantee. <laughs> almost certainly. Because it talks with, in my opinion, it talks with great clarity about willingness. What are you willing to put your mind on? See, willingness comes from an exercise of the heart that affects the brain. Right? When your brain is only in logic up here and you, and, and, and you say, well, I'm willing because I know these things. You don't know nothing without God. I mean, you got like zero on the, on the IQ without a God quotient. Right? And so how do we get that? What do we put our mind on? We do that from our heart. That's why he says, don't, whatever things are true, if there be any virtue or any praiseworthiness, Philippians 4. He says, if it's true, it has to be virtuous. It has to have a relationship to the power of the indwelling God. It has to be praiseworthy, which means you've got to be able to lift your hands and surrender to what God is teaching. It's not just because it's true. Amen. It's almost certain that three or four weeks from now, I'll get to that one. Do you see how important willingness is? Father, we thank you today for this time. Thank you for teaching us by your word. Thank you for speaking to us in great honesty, Father, in our hearts. Father, that the frailty of human communication became the powerful, pointed truth from you to us. Not because I said it, Father, but because you said it to them. You turned those words into words of life in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.